0: Well, amen. It is great to worship with you together and to celebrate what God has done, who He is, and the forgiveness we have. As we've been studying the book of Isaiah, we've just seen so many promises God has to us about our forgiveness, about His presence. As I mentioned last week, uh, Isaiah was written about 790 B.C. For those of you who are listening last week, I said 500. That was just a test to see if you'd catch me. So well done for those who did. He's actually writing at 790 B.C. Uh, the book of Isaiah is divided into two sections. That, that really duplicate the whole Bible, the first 39 chapters, just like there are 39 books in the New Te- Old Testament. And then there are, as I said last week, 24 chapters in the New Testament. Another test, I purposely said wrong last week. There are 27 uh, books in the New Testament, and there are 27 chapters in this section of Isaiah. So we are seeing this parallel. The Holy Spirit was working in the background, written before Christ, and yet describing everything about the, the entire gospel story and the message. So the image of God's comforter we're looking at today is the good news. In fact, again, we see Christmas clearly described all throughout Isaiah: virgin will be born, son will be given, where he'll be born, the land of Zebulun, and today we we echo the words of the of the angels, who say, "Good tidings of great joy to all people," comes out of Isaiah. That the servant, the Messiah, the one God has for us, will bring good news to all people. So we're going to comfort ourselves with what it is to understand God's news. And in doing so, what we're going to find today is that God's good news is great good news. But it's not just good news now, His presence, His forgiveness, His Holy Spirit. It's good news now, but it is great news later. As we understand life, as we understand what God's plan is for our life, we really have to understand this idea. What's the good news we get now, but what's the great news we get later? And how do we trust God in the midst of that? So, three ways to read the news today three ways to read God's good news and to incorporate into our life so we can understand what the world is like and what God's trying to do in the midst of it. So, let's begin Isaiah. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open Isaiah chapter 61. The first way to read the news is we have to realize and remember that God's good news comes in two installments. It's really delivered in two installments. And if you don't understand that, you're going to think, why didn't he just fix everything uh, the first time he came? There's still disease, there's still betrayal, there's still problems. God's good news comes in two installments. Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the God, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, there it is, good tidings, great news, the proclamation of news is what that means in Hebrew, to the poor. It's just for the poor? What about the middle class and upper class? Well, it means the poor in spirit. It means those who are morally bankrupt, those who can't save themselves, those that are in the red with God. That's the idea here. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and keep this in mind, liberty to captives is going to be important in a moment, The opening of prison to those who are bound. And already you're thinking, well, Jesus did come, but there's a lot of people still in prison. There's still a lot of injustice. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, then the next verse, the day of vengeance of our God. So we're going to look at how Jesus interpreted this passage. And even you're going to see in what he doesn't say and what he leaves out and how he stops in his sermons, he's communicating these two installment ideas. So let me take you to Israel, a little place called Gamla. This is Gamla, just to the north and to the east of the Sea of Galilee. There it is, Gamla. That's Beth and I visiting there several years ago. And when you're in Gamla, one of the first things you notice before you hike down the mountain is you can see this cliff up on the right and you can see a wall that's been disintegrated with a synagogue still sitting in place. Now the Bible says that Jesus preached in all the synagogues surrounding the area of Galilee. So it is very probable he was in this particular synagogue. It's also possible that he was in this synagogue when he read the Isaiah scroll. Because when he declares that he is Messiah, not just for Jews but for Gentiles, they say they march him up a cliff to push him off it. Then he does a freeze frame. Everybody's frozen and he walks through them and they don't push him off the cliff. So those are stories in mind. So, we're in Luke chapter 4 and then Luke chapter 7. Look at how Jesus interprets the book of Isaiah 61. So, we're zooming in here. You see a little mikveh behind where you would wash before you came to synagogue. And now, imagine Jesus walking into the center of this arena, people seated on the the bleacher, stone bleachers around the outside. And for Jews, ever since the time of the Babylonian exile, you would actually read the same scripture reading wherever you were. So, everybody that day was reading Isaiah 61. Jesus happens to come on that day, happens to be handed the Isaiah scroll of 61, and he goes down and finds this place. He was handed the book from the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And again, notice even in the Greek, it changes to gospel, good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attempt, and he sat down. So he sat in the place of teaching. He's about to give midrash or a sermon on this. And all eyes are fixed on him. That's the Messiah passage he just read. That's the Sermon of the Lord passage he just read. They're fixated. They've already heard rumors of who Jesus might be. What's he going to say? And he began his sermon by saying to them, Today, this scripture from 790 B.C., some say 500, is fulfilled in your hearing." This is a big, bodacious claim. Huge. Jesus is saying that he fulfills that passage. Now, I want you to see where he stopped. Luke on one side, Isaiah on the other. He stops at to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There is not a period in Isaiah. There's a comma. See the comma? He stops before the line and the day of vengeance of our God. You and I are living in that comma. The space between his first coming and his second coming. First installment, he brought forgiveness. Second installment, he'll bring justice. So even as Jesus interprets this and pauses this, he's communicating to us that his good news comes into installments. Now, later in Luke 7, he leaves something out, even related to the first section, to say, you know, he doesn't always work the way we want him to work after the first coming. So John the Baptist has been saying, that's my cousin, that's Messiah, prepare the way of the Lord, behold the Lamb of God. And now John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And he sends his disciples to Jesus' disciples and say, hey, what's up? I thought you were Messiah. The the prisoner is supposed to be set free. Can you make sure Jesus is really the Messiah? John the Baptist has doubts? So here we are in Luke 7. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. Now he's going to quote from both Isaiah 35, Messianic prophecies, and Isaiah 61. Go tell John the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Just like it says in Isaiah 35, God will come and save you. God himself will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. The the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Then chapter 61, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Now what part of Isaiah 61 did he leave out? He did not say to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus knows that Isaiah, I mean John the Baptist knows this passage. He's saying, you know what, even in my first installment, not all injustice is fixed. John, you're going to die in prison. But I want you to glorify God in that prison. When I come the second time, we're going to do away with all injustice, the Herods and all the evil, But part of reading the good news is understanding it comes in two installments, and we're living still in the first installment where not everybody is healed, and not everybody is fixed, and not all injustice is done away with yet. And that's what he's saying here by what he's not saying to John the Baptist. But God says he's going to come again and fix this world. So, in the meantime, part of living life is trusting God to fully and finally fix this world, uh, but in his timing. It can be very frustrating. In fact, often it's the meantime, right? In the meantime, while we wait on God, the meantime can be a very mean time. So on October 7th, there's a man named Amir Tabone. He and his family were asleep just outside the Gaza Strip when all of a sudden he's awakened to the sound of gunfire and the sound of screaming in Arabic. He suddenly realizes he's in danger. He and his wife get up and they run to the panic room. In Israel, because of the missiles and bombs that go off all the time, your kids sleep in the panic room. So when things happen, you go and you meet them in the panic room and you just lock the door and now you're all in there together. Well, this is just outside the door. This is not like your typical missile raid. And there are people just outside the door with shooting and screaming and yelling and terrorizing. They have a WhatsApp app that all the neighbors have. And the neighbors are beginning to say, what's going on? What's happening? Looks like our neighbor just got shot. Looks like this just shot. They, they were talking about what they knew and didn't know. It, it, it's been a few minutes. No police have arrived. It's been an hour. No border patrol have arrived. No soldiers have arrived. Now Amir's father, his name is Noam, N-O-A-M. Noam Tabone is a very famous general in Israel. He'd be like say, General Patton to us today. He's 62 and he's retired. He lives up in Tel Aviv. In general, people aren't armed in Israel, but because he's a retired general, he did have a pistol. He calls his dad, tells the girls to be quiet because there's people trying to kill them on the other side of the door. They've got dogs, trying to keep the dogs quiet. He calls up his dad. Dad, we're surrounded by people trying to kill us. They've got automatic weapons. No one's coming. It's been an hour. We need help. And I'll just call him General Grandpa from this point. General Grandpa says, Grandma and I are on our way. Hangs up the phone, grabs his pistol, jumps in the car. They make their way down, it's about an hour from Tel Aviv to the area that his son lives. They come to a a roadblock where the soldiers have said, hey, there's danger in this place, you can't go in. Suddenly they recognize him. Oh, it's like General Patton here. It's General Grandpa. Oh, what are you doing here? I'm going in to save my son and my grandkids. I'm sorry, sir. We got orders. We can't let you in there. Grandma speaks up. We're going in to save our grandkids. We'll go through you or we'll drive through that field right there, but we're headed there. Ma'am, I have my orders. So they drove through the field. It will still take them seven hours before they arrive. As they're making their way, they will stop because a group of people coming from that Freedom Concert who've been shot up, who are running for their lives, they will stop to pick them up and bring them to safety. Then they'll make their way again and they'll see an overturned Jeep where several Israeli soldiers have been killed and a couple are wounded. He'll pick up an automatic weapon. Grandpa now has a pistol, an automatic weapon. But even now, he can't leave these injured soldiers there who might be in danger. So he has his wife take the car and these injured soldiers and take them to the hospital. Now she's going to stay safe at the safe house. He now has no car, and he's going to travel on foot. He finds a couple other soldiers who really, because of the chaos, don't really know who's in command, but they immediately recognize him. What are you doing here? I'm going to save my kids and my grandkids. Do you want to come with? Yes, sir. He explained to them how to do house to house and how to make sure that a house is cleared before moving on so he'll get shot in the back. They're now ready. He says, I know this area. I babysit my grandkids every week. I know the alleys. I know the backstops. I know how to get in here. Follow me. Meanwhile, it's now been seven hours of darkness, keeping the girls quiet, trying to keep them calm, keep the dogs quiet, and they're still screaming and yelling and gunfire outside, and pretty soon it gets louder. Different types of gunshots, different type of of noises coming outside, and all of a sudden, his wife turns to Amir and says, what is that? He says, it's my dad. (laughs) Because now they're hearing cries in Hebrew, hearing gunfire, and as that goes on, it's now been 10 hours, and they're wondering what's going on inside, but he trusts his dad, and he's telling his kids to trust him. Next thing he knows, there's a pound on the glass. Why a panic room has glass, I do not know. A pound on the glass. And immediately the grandkids recognize, however he knocked, it was something they recognize. It's grandpa. He says, yes, it's grandpa. And they hear the voice of his father say, open the door. It's safe. He opened the door and he throws his arms around his son and his grandkids. Dad had come to save the day. Now Amir is not even a person of faith, but he does know the Bible. There's a passage during the time of the Exodus from Egypt that says that God so protected his people during the Exodus that even the dogs didn't bark. He said, I was struck. I'm not really a big believer in God, but I do love the Bible. My dogs didn't bark this whole time. See, the Bible describes that we're currently living in the darkness of a broken world. And we're called to spread the gospel and share the good news of God's forgiveness and work. But we're awaiting a time in the future that Dad shows up. And Dad knocks on the door. It's that Revelation even describes it that way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who opens that door to me, I will come in. I will dine with you. And God will come and do away with all evil and all pain once and for all. Reading the good news is waiting for dad or grandpa to save the day. Well, believe it or not, we've only made it through verse (laughs) 1. So now we get to verse 2. The second way to read the news of God is to read God's good news into our bad news. You see, Isaiah's been telling us about an Assyrian um, bondage coming and a Babylonian bondage coming. That's bad news. But guys, I want you to know there's going to be a remnant and there's going to be a return. So read my good news into the bad news. If you're now living in Babylon years later, you're like, oh my goodness, we've been in bondage to Babylon for 35 years. You read the good news, God's going to send us home in 70 years into your bad news. If you're one of the remnants and you've come to the destroyed temple and it's so discouraging, destroyed homes and your whole homeland's destroyed, you read the good news, God's going to rebuild the rubble with us, the remnant, into your bad news. We are the Zerubbabel. We are the Nehemiah. If you have 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and God's promise, you keep saying, it sounds like God's forgotten us, it looks like God's forgotten us, but he hasn't. God has promises of a Messiah that's going to come. And if you're living where we are, you are here. You read the good news. God's going to fix everything. God is here available to me now. God will strengthen me. God can grow me even in my bad news. That's the idea here. So verse 2. But there will come a day... A vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn who go through difficulty in this life to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty when they've only had ashes to give them the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise to replace that spirit of heaviness and then when you see how I grew you through those difficult times I will make you into a tree of righteousness Do you want to know why God still has us on earth and hasn't taken us to heaven? He wants other people to observe how we live through the bad news, difficult news, challenges of life. And he wants other people to see that we're growing into a tree of righteousness. Through our challenges, through our difficulties, through our circumstances. The planting of the Lord... That he will be glorified. God wants to be glorified in your current life and current circumstances. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They will raise up the former desolations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. You're going to be part in the future of seeing what I do in that. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. The people who had enslaved you will now be tending to your flocks. The sons of the foreigner will be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And you will be named the priests of the Lord. And you will be called the servants of God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you will boast. But not yet. That's the good news. You read into your current bad news. So what is God's will for your life? If People ask that all the time. I want to give you God's will for your life. There it is. God is trying to grow you into a tree of righteousness with deep roots and abundant fruits. And the hardship and difficulty you're going through is to form you and strengthen you. He wants people to see the good news in your life. When they say, Oh my goodness, if I went through a divorce like that, I'd be bitter and mad and angry. I don't think I'd ever recover. And you're mad, but you also are forgiving. You've grown through that. You've become more gracious through that. You've become more compassionate through that. If somebody did that to me, I'd scratch their eyes out. Yet you've turned away from bitterness and revenge and chosen forgiveness and strength. Well, if I lost my spouse after 40 years, I don't think I'd ever recover. And while you're sad and discouraged, I'm seeing you be strengthened by a source that clearly doesn't just come from yourself boy if my kids went through a rebellion like that or a challenge like that I don't, don't know what I would do but I just see you handling it with such grace and truth see you are the good news you're the conduit of the good news what God is growing and doing in you is designed to draw other people in your life in your family, in your neighborhoods to see God in you God show me amidst my bad news what you're trying to do Look how he ends this section here. He says, when you realize what I'm going to reward you for, for going through those difficult times, instead of shame, you're going to have double honor. So however painful it is, it'll be doubly that good. So when it gets really bad, think to yourself, 2x amount of joy is coming. You can get through anything now if you have something certain to look forward to. That's been the theme of our whole book. Instead of confusion... Why is God doing this? What's his plan? You're going to rejoice in your portion. You cannot believe the portion of riches and reward God will have for you when you're faithful and grow through difficulty. Therefore, when you're in their land, they shall possess double. There is again, double. Everlasting, eternal joy is available to you in what God's going to do as he grows you now. So read the good news. That's pretty good news. Into the bad news. And that means we need to trust God to use the manure of our lives. And so if you're like, you wouldn't know what I'm going through, Chad. You wouldn't use the word manure. I've got a stronger word for that. Feel free to use that in your own head. God, use the manure in my life to fertilize new growth. Grow me into a tree of righteousness. And one of the things we do as a church, you know, we get a chance to spread the good news by equipping us, by having different types of services Sometimes we do it through funerals. I did a funeral last week, and at the end of the funeral, one of the funeral attendants came up and said, hey, I know Larry, and I know his faith, and we talked about it a lot. And, and my spiritual interest was, was sort of growing because of the conversations I had with Larry. And being here at the funeral is just a reminder of that journey I'm, I'm kind of starting on and, and want to continue. There's someone in real life with a real friend spreading the good news. About five years ago, I can't believe it's been five years, my friend Tad Lawrence, maybe you may know him. He attended here for many, many years. And Tad, during the last season of his life, had pancreatic cancer, stage four. And as it often does, it was just destroying his body in an incredibly noticeable way. And yet, Tad continued to run Bible studies until that last week. He continued to talk about the faith he had and that brand new body he was going to get because Jesus has a new body, and he raised himself from the dead. I'm going to get one, too. He talked about the hope he had, and he talked about the confidence he had in heaven. And as we were talking together, I said, well, Tad, you so love sharing the good news with people. Why wait till your funeral to do it? Why don't we have you tell your friends about the good news you have before then. He says, I love that idea. So on a Tuesday or Thursday night, we had two chairs up here. I sat up here with he and actually his doctor as well. And this room was filled with every friend, work colleague, some religious, most not. But they had so seen Tad live out this incredible joy with this horrific terminal diagnosis, they had to come here. And he shared about his faith. He shared about the challenges And he shared about his confidence in what Jesus was going to do with him. It was powerful. He read the good news into his bad news. Thirdly, the third way we read our news, pictures that reward at the end. He says, as you're going through difficult times, I want you to picture what God has in store for you. And in store for you, God has this weedless garden, an earth that is fixed. And God has a perfect wedding. A party, a plan, friendship, restoration. You've lost someone, you get to see him again for eternity. This perfect wedding and this weedless garden is how you read the news while you're living in the meantime. He starts off with the perfect wedding. He says, can you imagine a perfect wedding with a perfect spouse? My wife can, but I don't know if the rest of you can. No, of course, all of us, right, are selfish. All of us, even on our best days, make mistakes. But the the faithfulness you've always longed for, the selflessness you've always longed for, the love you've always longed for, the the, the generosity you've always longed for, it's Jesus awaiting you, committing to you for eternity. Verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make them an everlasting covenant. I want to marry you forever. Their descendants will be known among the Gentiles. Their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge them. I'm going to brag on you. I'm going to tell people about you. You're my kids. You're my wife. I'm in love with you. I don't care who knows. That they are the posterity from the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Not just a white dress. This is the white robe of God. Purity. Cleansing. Full forgiveness. No shame. Everything cleansed. God dresses you in the best tuxedo. God puts you on the most beautiful white dress. It's whiter than any launder could ever get. He covered me with the robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. As a bride adorns herself with jewels. This is the picture of the heaven that's in store for us in Christ. And the world's going to be fixed too. He so said, I want you to picture that glorious garden. Is suffering with aches and pains as you get older, God has a glorious world, with a glorious new body for you. You're caring for somebody in hospice. They get to eat again. They get to talk again. No more Alzheimer. No more pain. No more murder. No more abortion. No more betrayal. This is what we look forward to in heaven. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes. Things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause, He'll he'll spring up righteousness and praise to spring forth. It's like this glorious garden that's underneath springs forth and overtakes all the weeds. Instead of weeds overtaking the garden, the garden overtakes the weeds, and we live in a new heaven and new earth for eternity. That's good news. And it's when you understand what God's doing now by growing me and what God's going to do by fixing everything, you have hope no matter what you face. And so what God calls us to do, corporately as a church and individually, is to spread the good news. And to spread it to anyone in any way at any time. Have you ever thought about the fact that it's not random the family you're in or the workplace you're in or the neighborhood you're in? God has placed you there so people can see you grow, see how you react. And they can say, man, God lives there. And they start asking questions. And as it's appropriate, you're loving with your life, you're loving with actions, and as questions are asked, you're actually sharing the words of the gospel as well. And you're sharing it with anyone at any time, any place. It's what we do as a church. You think we have an equipping service? No, we have a, a message delivery system called an equipping service. We have an exploring service? Eh, kind of. We have a message good news delivery service called an exploring service. We have an app? Well, I guess we have an app. It's actually a good news delivery service. Many of you have said how much it has been helpful. When you're out of town, you'll stay with us. You're participating in the worship with us when you're out of town. Others, you've said, oh my gosh, that message was so helpful. I sent that to a friend who's exploring. I sent it to a friend who's going through discouragement or depression. It would be so helpful. These are message delivery systems. Why are we doing a Christmas Eve service? Because you need a chance to get together with family, kind of. It's a nice tradition, yeah, but not really. It's a message, a good news delivery system. Why do nine services? Why are we doing complimentary ticketing to make sure there's a space for everyone to hear the good news? And you're going to hear a crystal clear gospel presentation of what it means to be white as snow this year. So all of these things that we put together, all these things we do as a church, all these resources, even when you're greeting or when you're serving at our church, what are you doing? You're creating the context for a good news delivery system. So what does it look like for you to do it individually? And what does it look like for us to do it corporately? Maybe if you're serving. You remember coming in the door and not being sure about church and you were greeted by a friendly face. And the goal was not to get you a program or say hi. The goal was to create a context for you to be prepared for good news delivery system. You dropped off your kids and your grandkids and they came back and said, we had a great time. And you know, if the kids don't have a good time, the family's not coming back. Because somebody volunteered, put programs together, put crafts together during the week. So that, that we can have a good news delivery system. That your junior high program has just exploded this year. What happens on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights. we got kids right now going through a, 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 a Christmas devotional together in junior high. A good news delivery system. All of the things that we serve in are designed to do that. If you think about our app, you look at all the different ways over the years we've taught through books of the Bible. Every week I have somebody come up and say, I was just listening to Galatians. I'm like, didn't we do that in 2008? Because our app has become a good news delivery system. Our Christmas Eve services, good news delivery system. Our worship nights, we did three worship nights this, this year. It's a chance to experience the goodness of God, to experience that good news personally. God, we love you, we thank you, we pray to you. And then you're so filled up with good news, you got to go share the good news. Why do we have a comedy night this last year? Where we did mostly secular music. And we did mostly clean comedy, had n- nothing to do with, well, it was all clean, but mostly clean comedy had nothing to do with Christianity. So people come on, on our property, see people, go, man, Christians aren't all weird. I thought they were all weird. And now they're open to good news delivery system. It's why we do what we do. So when you give of your time, it's to grow people. When you give of your finances here, it's so that we can create tools to be good news delivery systems. So thank you the way you have invested your time, that you have invested your finances. Help us be part of the good news delivery system, personally and corporately, with your talents, you're going to grow by serving. You're going to grow by giving. You're going to grow by trying to have that conversation with the neighbor and take a risk to invite them to a service. You're going to grow and possibly they're going to grow. So let me give you a sneak peek what's happening next year. I often try and do this this year as you're just thinking about who you might invite or your own personal growth. We're going to move from Isaiah, which finishes in just a couple weeks, to the book of Matthew. We're doing a series called Matthew, Laying Out the Course. If you love golf... You're going to see me try and use golf metaphors, even though I'm not much of a golfer. I'm kind of a goofy golfer, but not a golfer. We're going to see how Matthew lays out the course for all the ways in which Jesus and what he does and how he does it fulfills all the Old Testament and everything you ever wanted. We're going to be studying that in our equipping service, Matthew laying out the course. Then we're going to take a break during the summer and we've got this incredible immersive experience taking you on location to exactly where the psalmists were when they wrote certain psalms. Then we'll pick back up another theme from Matthew as we continue through the book of Matthew in 2024. If you're looking for an excuse to invite your friends, our exploring service has a new series that begins in January and the first part of February called Socialite, The Lost Art of Friendship. And it's going to be a great series. We're going to interview friendships at our church. We're going to have great music. We'll hear a little cheers, a little friends theme. just all the kind of classic music. And we're going to celebrate the teaching of C.S. Lewis as well as some Greek philosophers on what real friendship means, what it means to reconnect with real principles of friendship in a, in a very lonely culture we live in today. And maybe you've got a great friend. Maybe religious, maybe not. This might be a chance just to say, hey, listen, my church is just celebrating friendship for six weeks. And just like the people who invited the first group that came to our church, and those of us who sent personal letters out to our friends 13 years ago that started this community in this place, maybe you want to Write a note to a friend. Hey, you know what? Our friendships meant a lot to me. And our church is just doing a thing, just celebrating friendship. Why don't we grab an 11 o'clock service, grab some lunch, and just talk about how much our friendships meant to us? You know, for guys, a lot of times, good friendship is harassing one another. You know, whether we love each other, we tease each other, we harass each other. You know, that's kind of what makes the sweetness of friendship. Maybe that would be a way that you might invite somebody the first time just to celebrate friendship. Then in February, and March, we're doing a series called Breakthrough. We're going to actually tell a short story, kind of a, a, a we're writing it right now, it's a novel, that, a, a short story, reader theater, storytelling, we're going to do the talk about how the fulfillment for the next life can break through and give you meaning in this life, in your work, in your love, in your life. Point being, these are not just services, these are good news delivery systems. I had a guy come to me last week after the uh, 11 o'clock service, he says, Chad, I've never been in church before, and I loved this. I said, well, that is awesome. He'd been brought by a friend and family who goes here, grandparents, parents, and parents, and kids. And this uh, teenager came to me. He goes, man, I've never been in church before. I have so loved this, um, and I want to start my own spiritual journey. How did I get started? I don't know anything about the Bible. I said, well, go to our website, horizoncc.com backslash fast track, and you can get a PDF for free of how to read through the entire Bible in 90 minutes. He looks at it and he's like, well, that sounds great. So somebody who's been, never been in church before is reading the Bible with one of these message delivery systems. I mentioned this book about, I don't know, six weeks ago again, and several of you bought ten or I mean paid for our cost of production um, to give them out to your family as Christmas gifts this year. And I'm not selling the book. I'm just saying this is what we don't make any money off of it. It's just this is a resource that we have put together our resources over the last 13 years to be a message delivery system. How do we help people come to know God? And this year, it was so encouraging to me, I, I had 50, 100 letters that came from people all talking about how they've changed. These are just summaries. I just want to give you a few of these. I'll just pick a few at random. I'll start on page three here, or page two. Here's just one of many stories we hear every week. I am very apprehensive about faith or exploring a relationship with God. Less than a decade ago, but I was the type that thought I would just figure everything out on my own. And I took that life has a funny way of working itself out mentality. We started attending exploring services at Horizon regularly and I was so appreciative of how you used every message to help tough, to to address tough concepts and unfamiliar scriptures make sense. Having church hopped for decades and having taken long breaks from attending church at all, we finally found our place. Here's another one. We've been attending Horizon every Sunday when we're not traveling for more than five years. We're addicted to the verse-by-verse Bible teaching. We always leave our spiritual tanks more full than when we arrived. Moreover, two of our five children's families attend as well with their grandchildren really loving the children's program. Another one, I can't tell you how meaningful the messages have been. I've been in church and Sunday school since I was a little girl and I'm usually bored with the service. I never grew in my knowledge of God's word. We started attending Horizon when the church was in Newtown. It was first opened. Wow, we loved it. We started uh, learning so much from messages. I couldn't believe the things I'd missed all those years. I love history and so love the Old Testament. I, I read the Bible now with a new understanding and a love of God's word. I also Zoom with Tuesday morning women's Bible study group and I never miss a Tuesday. My husband's on Zoom with a men's Thursday morning and I could go on and on and on and these are just samples. Let's be part corporately and personally of a good news delivery system. Partner with us by using our tools for your own evangelism. Partner with us by helping create the context as people come to the door to hear the good news. Give of your time. Give of your talents. Or maybe you want to give of your money. At the end of the year, I know many people think about their, their giving. This was given to me yesterday. No, two days ago. 20-year-old that's been attending our church since he was a little girl. She said, I want this to go into the offering. I said, what is this? She goes, I'd forgotten about it. These are all the nickels and pennies and quarters I started collecting when I was in junior high. To give to god's work at horizon to thank god for how he's grown me here these are sacred nickels and sacred quarters that we're going to take and invest in a good news delivery system let's pray father Thank you for how generous you've been to us. Thank you for the forgiveness you brought to us. Thank you for the servant you sent to us. And thank you for the final deliverance that's going to come to us, Father. We long for you to come knock on the door and say, time to come out. It's safe. In the meantime, Father, grow us into trees of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.